Please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, beginning at verse 10, and can be found on page 64 of the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In it, we read of God delivering the Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians as they cross the Red Sea. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. 
So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The gospel reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. It can be found on page 4 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In it, we hear Jesus teaching the disciples some of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated and just join me as I pray briefly. Lord, as we look at the state of our world today, there is a desperate need for authentic Christian leaders, heroes and heroines of the faith whom we can trust and follow on our journey as we seek to play our part in your mission to usher in your kingdom on earth. Help us to discern such leaders from among us and grant us the courage and obedience to support, encourage and follow their example. Amen. The theme that uh, has been set for today's service is Heroes of the Faith with the reading from uh, Exodus highlighting Moses whom we'll look at first although there are one or two other more contemporary heroes I'd like to mention later on. Exodus 14 deals with the climax of the Israelites' escape from Egypt, and by way of brief context, Pharaoh had finally let them go. But after three days, he began to have second thoughts, saying to himself, what have we done letting all these slaves get away? So he leads the chase in his chariot, followed by the pick 
of Egypt's chariot corps, 600 of them, along with his entire cavalry. The Old Testament equivalent, we might say, of the panzer divisions. The Israelites, meanwhile, had camped between the desert and the Red Sea, and when they saw the Egyptian army bearing down on them, they realized that they were trapped and not surprisingly became terrified, but then very soon turned against Moses, complaining that he had brought them out of Egypt only to die in the desert. Verse 12, didn't we tell you to leave us alone and that it would be better to be slaves in Egypt than to be dead in the wilderness? The first of many of Israel's grumblings and complaints. But this didn't phase Moses, who remained calm. Do not be afraid, he said. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. He projected confidence. The Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. And then, following the Lord's guidance, he told the children of Israel to go forward, and as they did, he lifted up his staff, and the Lord caused a strong east wind to part the waters, so that the next morning they could walk through on dry land. And when they had done so, verse 31, they revered the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. But they needed to experience that miracle before they professed their faith. A few thoughts before we move on to more modern heroes. Looking back on Moses' life, we can see that he didn't really want to be a hero, did he? Because after 40 years looking after sheep in the wilderness, after he fled uh, in fear uh, from uh, Egypt, he tried to persuade God that he was not up to the job (laughs) and asked him to choose someone else. And it was only finally when God became angry with him that that he obeyed. So he was a reluctant hero. And I wonder if a prerequisite almost for hero status is that you don't seek it and you certainly don't believe that you deserve it. It's a byproduct almost of, of recognizing what God can do if you allow him to channel his power through you and turn your weakness into strength. It has more to do with hearing his voice and being prepared to obey it, even though what he asks for or tells you may be hard to believe. In this situation, Moses looked beyond Pharaoh's panzer divisions to the Lord, recalling what he had said a little 
before our reading in chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp between Migdal and the sea. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So this was all part of God's plan, which Moses accepted and had faith in. And he tried to comfort the Israelites with his faith, as it were, in verse 14, saying, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. A prophecy that came to pass within a few hours, as we see from verses 24 and 25, where God made the wheels of their chariots come off and was actually doing the fighting. But Moses, it seems, was the only one among the Israelites who could feel this and see it and believe in it. And in that sense, he was a visionary. But not for his own account, of course. He was on God's wavelength and saw what the Lord had in mind and believed it. And we could say looking back again on on Moses' history, that he really owed his very existence to faith. It was in his DNA, we might say, given the faith of his mother, who had placed her newborn baby in a basket and set him adrift on the River Nile, trusting in God to look after him, which, of course, he did. And I've mentioned before the modern parallel to that episode in the kinder transport and Nicholas Winton, who joined his friend in Prague just weeks before the outbreak of World War II to finance and organise the evacuation of 669 mainly Jewish children to safety in England. Their parents trusted this unknown English banker with their precious children, hoping and having faith that they would be safe, and they were. It's an uplifting story of hope in the face of oncoming evil, and you can Google Nicholas Winton to find out the details. And in the JP recently, we saw the report of the death of Harry Fenn, Jersey's last D-Day veteran, an ordinary Royal Navy medic who simply said, I served my country and I did my duty. I don't know where Harry Fenn stood in relation to God, but his mention of duty leads me on to Franz Jägerstetter, whose story I only discovered seven weeks ago on a trip to southern Germany. 
France was a farmer, a family man, a devout Catholic, and sacristan of the small church of St. Radegund in Austria. He refused to take up arms as a soldier in Hitler's war. The judgment of the court-martial in Berlin said he stubbornly refused to fulfill his patriotic duty as a soldier and thus undermined military morale and sentenced him to death in 1943. The Bishop of Linz, where France was made a saint of the Catholic Church in 2007, described him as a prophet with a penetrating insight which few of his contemporaries had, a man of deep faith for whom God really was the core and centre of his life. The Bishop of Innsbruck said, France did not conform to the accepted norms of the time in the way he lived and believed. In this, he was closer to the gospel than most were at the time, in particular, the Beatitudes and the commandment to love. In the midst of many voices of propaganda, fear and compromise, he always discerned the Holy Spirit. In him, the first commandment came to life. Let me share a few excerpts from Francis' own writings that his wife preserved and which I think speak directly into the situation in our world today. That's what struck me about this, um, especially uh, in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. France believed that individuals would be held personally responsible for fighting and killing people to enable the godless Nazi regime to be victorious and enslave yet more people. So he refused to take up arms. He actually offered to be a medic, but that was refused. He simply didn't want to take up arms for the Nazis. And he sought advice after his call-up from the church and he posed some awkward questions. First, if it really were in aid of liberating the Russian people, as Nazi propaganda claimed, then why the talk of acquiring iron ore, oil wells and good farmland? Secondly, what Catholic can declare that the predatory raids which Germany has already made and is still carrying on in several countries are a righteous and holy war. Thirdly, who dares to claim that only one of the German people bears the responsibility for this war? For why then did so many millions of Germans still have to vote?
member the Nazi party was actually voted in. Four, why should whatever the crowd is shouting and doing now be regarded as righteous and good? Can one reach the other shore safely if one constantly lets oneself be unresistingly swept along by the current? France diagnosed the point at which his people could be misled and slid into guilt and war as their bedazzlement through delusions of grandeur. He said, for thanks to the radio, newspapers, rallies, etc., nearly all of us knew what programme Hitler was planning to carry out. Applying that discernment to the situation in Ukraine today, can we not see how history might be repeating itself? Let me close with extracts from his letters from prison under the heading, Can Anything Still Be Done? He said this, he wrote to his wife from prison while he was awaiting execution. Today, one frequently hears it said that nothing more can be done because if anyone were to say anything, it would only bring him prison and death. But I believe it's never too late for us as human beings to save ourselves and to perhaps win a few other souls for Christ as long as we live in this world. It really need not come as a surprise that nowadays there are so many people who can no longer find their way in this huge mess. People on whom you believe you can rely, who are supposed to lead the way with a good example, are simply running with the crowd. No one offers any clarification, or rather it's forbidden to offer any. And so this unthinking running with the crowd goes on ever closer to eternity. It isn't good if our spiritual leaders remain silent. Indeed, it's said that words instruct, but examples inspire us to follow. Do we not want to see Christians who, in the midst of all the darkness, are still able to stand above it all in clarity, calmness and confidence, who in the midst of all the lack of peace and joy, egoism and hate, still stand there in the purest peace and cheerfulness, who aren't like a swaying reed blown this way and that by every light breeze, who simply don't watch the things their comrades or friends are doing but who ask themselves only, what does our faith teach us about all that? Or, can my conscience bear all this peacefully, that I may never have to regret any of this? In the foreword to the book about France, entitled A Shining Example in Dark Times, the bishops of Linz and Innsbruck point out that Franz Jägerstetter 
does not allow himself to be merely looked up to without at the same time posing a question about one's own life. And what about you? Same question Jesus posed, if you remember. And what about you? It's your situation that's being dealt with here. It's your motivation that's at issue. It's your God that's under debate. And what part does sacrifice play in our own lives? Franz Jägerstetter had such an unshakable faith in God that he was willing to face death rather than compromise his soul by fighting for the Nazi regime. Ultimately, faith is built on a belief in a better future, and since for France and for all Christians the future is heaven, I pray that our faith will be fanned into flame by these examples so that we can, in our own circumstances, usher into the darkness of this suffering world the love and light of Jesus towards whom and with whom we journey. Amen.